passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome to our post UFC 254 show. I'm John Pollock along with Phil Chairtalk. Don't look at your watch. Just take it all in. You don't have to look at your watch. All you have to do is look out your window. Because if you are in the Eastern time zone, it's 5 p.m. Eastern time. And I'm talking to Phil, who simply said, I love this, before we went on the air. Phil, it is wonderful to be talking to you when it is not um, uh, one in the morning. Yeah, it's it's always great to talk to you, John, but especially when uh, there's still daylight out. We don't need a watch. We just use our sundials. And we know that it's uh, 510 in the afternoon. And uh, once uh, we wrap up this post show, we've got an entire evening ahead of us. That's right. Are you going to be watching Bound for Glory tonight? Uh, what's Bound for Glory? All right, moving on. We have a lot to discuss on uh, today's show. I don't even have to say tonight's show. It is barely tonight. Uh, but we're going to be going through the whole UFC 254 card that just wrapped up uh, with a lot of big news coming out of it, especially uh, at the conclusion of the main event uh, in Abu Dhabi on Yas Island there. End of five straight weeks over on Fight Island. Uh, and Phil, you know, I was talking about this earlier this week when we had uh, Cody Saftik on the show to preview the card was what impact uh, this time slot might have when it comes to pay-per-view buys. Do you see this being something that the time slot would have any discernible difference in terms of the buys? Or do you like where did you kind of peg this card regarding uh, I- interest overall? I think it was a, it's a massive card. Habib is the second biggest star in the UFC. And uh, his last fight against Dustin Poirier, who's not uh, the biggest name, uh, you know, maybe comparable level to Gaethje. And that was one of the biggest pay-per-views of all time. So, uh, And that was also during this uh, earlier time slot. So I suspect that this event is still going to do very well. It would definitely do better in North America if it were in an evening time slot. But I still think it's going to do over a million buys and... Wow. It's almost, I think, even international. I mean, we don't, we never know internationally, but it sounds like it's off the, off the rails internationally. Yeah, I mean, this year I, I have found it's it's been very difficult to kind of put your finger on what level a show is going to hit. There have been ones that have really surprised me, like Gaethje and Ferguson. I think they really benefited from when that happened in May, so early mm. in the pandemic. Uh, j- like July, the three title fights and the addition of Jorge Masvidal. That one just, you know surge through the roof once uh, Jorge Masvidal was added to that. And on the other side of things, I think that like Daniel Cormier and Stipe Miocic, even at 500,000 buys, which is, I would definitely not call that a failure, but I, I saw that fight being, um, you know, flirting with a million buys and, and it didn't come close to it. So um, it, it'll be interesting to, to see. Certainly, I would say that 
a lot of people assume that Khabib's retirement it was in the near future. I just don't think many believed it would have been tonight. Certainly, if they knew that going in, uh, I think that that would have been something that, like, Khabib just strikes me as one that is like separate from our typical fighter retirements. In that, with his, I I take it pretty seriously that this is probably it for him. I, I completely agree. I mean, I always took it seriously whenever he said, you know, he wasn't going to fight Connor again or. Uh, he needed to fight somebody else before him. I, I believed him all those times, and um, I believe him now as well. Now, that's not to say he couldn't be motivated for the right uh, event, but a lot of people talked about um, his father's legacy and that 30-0, and 0, uh, or the legacy his father and him uh, wanted for uh, Habib. But, uh, you know, the legacy... Uh, is beyond just his mixed martial arts record. His father had a very big role in um, the province. And uh, you can see that that's something that's going to be important for Habib to carry forward. Um, something that goes beyond just competing. And uh, he really has nothing left to prove. So um, I could see it sticking. Well, let's jump into the card. And we're going to start there with the main event. Um, it was a very big fight involving uh, Khabib Nurmagomedov. Coming into this fight, as Phil mentioned, this is the first fight since his father passed away earlier this year, who also served as his head coach. So that was uh, a very big theme throughout the week uh, leading into this was uh, that absence. Uh, taking on interim champion Justin Gaethje. And in the opening round, Phil, what we saw was you know, Nirmaga made up placing a lot of pressure on Justin Gaethje. And I thought was pretty tactical in the sense that we were starting to see the Justin Gaethje, like the pre Ferguson version where he was throwing very wildly. And I thought kind of playing into this uh, more, more reckless style. However, the, uh, the other side of that coin was that once he started to find his rhythm, he did start having some success standing and was landing on Khabib, which then prompted Khabib to execute his first takedown attempt uh, right near the end of the round. And uh, like there were, there were no games at the beginning of the second round. He took Justin Gaethje down and immediately mounted him and switched to a triangle. And then Justin Gaethje is tapping and referee Jason Herzog obviously missed the first series of taps and then it was a delayed stoppage but this was a clear submission victory for Nurmaga Madov who improves to 29 and 0 and then afterwards he announces that today was my final fight he was um i mean it was a very emotional scene afterward he is in tears afterwards that you can see that this is someone that must have put a lot to the just the recesses of his mind to just get through this fight week and it seemed like it all came crashing down on him once this fight was over um it, 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 there's not too many post fights that i think have uh hit this level uh in terms of just a fighter just falling apart emotionally it was like quite the scene after yeah i mean we've seen um, a lot of fighters deal with uh difficult uh situations in their personal personal lives and that come out in the octagon. Um, but I think what was unique about this situation was the fact that uh, Habib's father was so integral, not only to his career, but the sport. And, you know, it was already so close to Habib's career, even if he did decide he he was going to go with that 30-0. and 0. So, um, I, yeah, it, it, it's difficult to imagine all the emotions, all the pressure. I mean, Habib fights with all the pressure of the world already on him with that undefeated record and the entire, uh, you know, uh, people of Dagestan behind him. But, um, yeah, he was able to, uh, you know, obviously, uh, 
achieve victory despite all that pressure like he usually does, but it was extremely emotional to watch that. Um, um, what did you think about the first round in terms of like the, kind of the, like it was lar- until that late takedown? I mean, this was contested on, on the feet. What did you think of uh, Gaethje's uh, game plan in the first couple of minutes? Well, in the first sort of minute, I thought, uh, you know, it was pretty good. Gaethje was tr- keeping his distance. He landed his uh, leg kick a couple times. Uh, but once Habib just started pushing the pace, it was Gaethje was on the back foot the whole time. And even when he was landing his counter left, which was significant, Habib would just keep pressing forward. And I was just actually, I was amazed at the pace, actually. I yeah. could not, Matt, I, I, the key. You knew, I think, in this first round, it's like, if they hold up this pace, like, this is, this is a fight that is not going all that long. I, I didn't necessarily yeah. think it was going to end so quickly in the second, but like this, this was a pace that Khabib seemed perfectly comfortable to stay at and was just like wearing down uh, Justin Gaethje. There was no feeling out process. Yeah. And then when he started landing, he was getting more liberal with his shots, doubling up on his jab following that. And he was landing with a lot of success, landing with his own kicks, even though it wasn't the most technical because he had all that pressure and because Gaethje is constantly worried about the takedown he can kind of have his will with him. Afterwards, uh, Nurmagomedov, he he announced his retirement. Uh, Justin Gaethje stuck around in the octagon and was very complimentary of Khabib as well. And, you know, so much that comes out of this, the fight that everyone had looked at as that potential 30th was the George St. Pierre fight that uh, looks to be something that Khabib, you know, he went from, very much wanting that fight to, I think, realizing like this, he's not going to go through all of this again. He hasn't, he was very adamant. Like I have nothing left to prove. There's always going to be that, that next fight. There will always be that elusive opponent or in with a record, always one more number to go a step higher. But I think he leaves as uh, right in that conversation uh, of the short list of the greatest fighters of all time. I don't know if he's going to be people's number one, but I think he's in that conversation of your three to five greatest fighters of all time. And as well, the UFC lightweight championship, I think the unofficial winners of this announcement, Phil, are Conor McGregor and Dustin Poirier, because I will be stunned if that January 23rd fight is not for this vacant title. As much as that will upset some other lightweights, I think that's... It will be for the vacant 155-pound title contested at 170 pounds. <laughs> well, now, now when Dana says it makes no sense to have that fight at 170, it really does make no sense to have it at 170, even though uh, Dana was more than willing to have a logical welterweight fights with Connor against Donald Cerrone earlier this year. But uh, I, I think that just puts all the pieces in place that that will be the championship fight. And you'll, you'll probably have Tony Ferguson who's going to be very upset about that. But I, I, that's where I totally see this all playing out. I agree. Um, And there's Michael Chandler in there as well, right? Who probably only needs one fight to even get to a title shot at this point. Um, And it's a great division. It's so deep. Um, So, you know, having, I mean, as much as I love Habib, Having a new sort of string of champions could be a really exciting thing for probably the deepest or second deepest division in the sport. You know, it's it's quick the process, but where where do you place uh, Nurmagomedov in in terms of like some of the greats and 
I mean, someone when you look at the fighters that he fought at lightweight, I mean, it's a, it's a pretty it's a pretty impressive list. And he also uh, goes down as being one half of the most successful UFC pay per views of in all of all time with Conor McGregor. And I, as much as Dana has noted about uh, cards that are tracking to be at that level, I think it's gonna be a long time before we see a fight that tops two point four million buys. Yeah, I mean, it, it takes two to tango. Um, the thing with Habib is the only thing that sort of his career lack was that great opponent. And um, sort of, I guess, because of the success and because of the uh, infamy of the rivalry, uh, he will be linked to Conor McGregor. Um, and yeah, it's it's not going to be possible to generate that many pay-per-view buys with Conor unless there's a worthy opponent. Um, so uh, from that perspective, um, he's going to be missed. In terms of where he ranks all-time greats, I mean, it, it's pretty fresh. I've been a, a huge fan of his since, really since he beat Rafael Dos Anjos. When I saw that, I was like, this guy is the best lightweight. And um, I put him at number one, undisputed, undefeated, 29-0. and 0. I mean, he's... In my view, he's never lost a round. I know officially he lost the third round to Connor, but I go back and I think he was just playing pitter patter with him until he decided to take him down in the end. So, I mean, just so nobody's been more dominant. Yeah. And it's especially, it's going to be the last, I, I would say, like three years where you saw, like, the, you know, Michael Johnson gave him problems standing, but then that turned into a mauling by the end of that fight. Edson Barbosa was as one-sided as we've ever seen Edson Barbosa be a part of. Uh, then you had the Iaquinta fight. That was, you know, that was a very, uh, that was a very difficult fight to really assess given all of the changes that week and how he ends up with Al Iaquinta, but then has the Conor McGregor fight. Dustin Poirier, who he, I mean... No one's made Dustin Poirier look like that in a long time. And then tonight, I mean, relatively, relative ease with, with Justin Gaethje. I, I don't think you can ever say Khabib was in trouble tonight. I, I completely agree. I mean, even though he, he, he's he got a chin, man, because he took some shots here too. Yep. And he's Near taking shots first, in other like, fights. Yeah, Gaethje was, was throwing. And I mean, Khabib is never going to be uh, remembered for his his stand-up ability, but it creates a... It's, it's very unconventional that... Uh, forces you to have to react and make mistakes. And I mean, he showed you right at the end, that takedown is always there for him and then didn't play around at all in the second. He he mounted him in seconds in that round. Mm-hmm. And also with that finish in the second round, he, he was very aggressive right away. He went to mount, went to uh, arm triangle, didn't get the arm triangle, went to the regular triangle, which puts you on your back. So he was looking for the finish right away, whereas... You know, usually in his fights, he wears guys down until they give them the finish. And I think even his whole style in this fight was just, he wanted to be very aggressive. I mean, he threw two flying knees, one of which landed, which is not unusual for him. Um, yeah, it was pretty amazing. How about that bicep slicer that he was going for? At That's the end right. Of the yes. Round? Yes. Dude, was- if you've ever been put in a <laughs> bicep slicer, you, I cannot convey the pain when that thing is properly applied, it feels like the term bicep slicer is the perfect description of what that feels like. Yeah, it looked like uh, Justin sort of had a hand in there or something that prevented it. And also, I don't think Habib was like going 100% for it, but he was definitely going for that armbar. But it was yeah. just, it was almost like, yeah, I've got your arm here. And That's it right. Was more yeah. so just ending it on a, ending the round on a pretty dominant note there. Absolutely.
Absolutely. So we will see what is next for the UFC lightweight division. But as I said off the top, I, I think that this is one of those retirements where I'm not uh, like when you you and I have come on here after a number of retirements. <laughs> and I would say the Henry Cejudo one is the one where it's like, dude, I I am not taking this one seriously in the least. Uh, and I mean, the guy's already talking about, you know, doing boxing, whatever with the Khabib one. Uh, th- this is one that I put a lot more stock into. Uh, yeah, I completely agree. He, he's he's a man of principle. His teammates have said so. His coaches have said so. And uh, you can tell that the UFC even knows so. Like even with their, you know, it was always their desire to get that Connor fight, but Dana never pushed it too hard publicly. So uh, I, I think that the UFC has a lot of respect for Habib. And uh, as we've said, he's a man of his word. And so I'm going to actually say this retirement has a 75 to 80% likelihood of sticking. On a side note, tonight we had a two-man booth with John Anik and Daniel Cormier. And previously, Daniel Cormier had always been, uh, when it came to teammates, that he would not be in the booth for those fights. But he opted to do this card uh, with Khabib fighting. And he had also worked with uh, Tai Tuivasa in the lead-up. Uh, how did you feel uh, Daniel Cormier called this main event? I thought he did great. I mean, I think Cormier is kind of the best guy they have right now uh, in his role. Um, him and John Anik are the top two. And, uh, yeah, I thought he did a, he, he's, he acknowledges his biases and he's also able to step away from those things. And also because he has such a close relationship with Habib, I think that gave invaluable insight into the broadcast that you could not get with any other person. So, uh, I thought he did a tremendous job and, uh, I, I didn't notice anything, um, wrong with it. Yeah, I'm with you. I think that that's what you lean on is that when you have these fighters, like that, you are going to have those natural conflicts when you're talking about active or recently active fighters. But the other side is that, okay, you have your straight man in John Anik that's going to give you like the, um, you know, that plays the the guy right down the middle. And for a Cormier, yeah, you, you, you establish that right off the bat and you get a lot of insight that another analyst is not going to have because they don't have that that meaningful relationship that Daniel Cormier has with a number of these fighters. Yeah, I think the the telling moment was actually at the end of the fight after the post-fight interview where they were sort of asking Daniel Cormier about the retirement and he was just like, man, he was like really upset. He he He's like, I thought he had one more in him and we were going to, yeah, but. Oh, I means, missed all of that. That's really yeah, interesting. Yeah. He, and then he was like, yeah, he means it. Like he, 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 like it was very true to Daniel Cormier. It hit him hard. And, um, and that, yeah, that was a great moment. So yeah, uh, I'd say go check that out. Robert Whitaker and Jared Cannonier was the co-feature. This was one of the few fights that went to decision of the 12 fights. We had three decisions on this show. And, uh, in this fight, um, you know, it was Robert Whitaker and utilizing his jab. That was established early on. I thought the most competitive round was the first, and I was in the minority here that I, I thought that the leg damage that Jared Cannonier was able to do in this round, uh, to me, offset the, the jab work from Robert Whitaker. So I did go with Cannonier in the first round, but most had it for Robert Whitaker. Second and third, I didn't think there was any debate, even though the judges' scorecards appeared all over the place, even though they all arrived at the same score. Um, Whitaker just continued using this jab. He was swelling up Cannoneer's eye. 
And then in the third round, Whitaker had his best round. He dropped him with his head kick and swarmed Cannoneer and eventually mounted him. Cannoneer, to his credit, was ultra tough, got back to his feet and landed a big right hand. It was his best shot of the whole fight, but not enough. Uh, Whitaker, on my card, uh, clearly won rounds two and three. So I had it 29-28. And Robert Whitaker puts himself in a position where a rematch with Israel Adesanya is going to have to be discussed because I think a lot of people were assuming that, hey, Jerry Cannonier is the uh, more optimal victor in this fight because he represents a fresh opponent and Israel Adesanya has already teed up this fight. But I thought that was going to be quite the task for Cannonier and Robert Whitaker gets the victory. Yeah, I was favoring Cannonier in this fight because of his heavy hands, which didn't play a factor whatsoever until the very, very end of the third round. Um, he did have those powerful leg kicks. Um, I thought they were going to be effective at adding up. I didn't think they were enough for me to give him the first round, but I, it was close. And even the second round I thought was pretty close as well. Just Whitaker's jab started to add up a little bit more. And then, yeah, the third round was, was pretty clear. Regarding where this puts Whitaker in the title picture, I mean, clearly he deserves a title shot. I mean, he's beaten the best of the best, uh, you know, 10 and 1, I mean, uh, plus a draw or whatever. And, uh, you know, it's hard to deny him, especially considering there's no one really else uh, deserving, as deserving as him. The only sort of wrench in this whole thing is, you know, there's John Jones out there and Israel Adesanya and John Jones seem to be on... Uh, crash course for fighting unless they're the biggest, you know, uh, teases on earth. Yeah. The only other fight coming up, it's uh, Jack Hermanson and Darren Till, which, you know, Whitaker has a win over Till and I don't see Hermanson leapfrogging Whitaker. So I would say Whitaker is the only candidate at the moment for Adesanya. And you're quickly seeing like this, this middleweight division, um, yeah, they're uh, searching for contenders. And I think Robert Whitaker has put himself uh, on an island here for that next title fight. Yeah, I mean, like I said, he's he, he's earned it. He's got the resume, but there's this John Jones thing that's uh, out there as well. Alexander Volkov and Walt Harris uh, in heavyweight action. Uh, Alexander Volkov was just landing at range. Anytime Harris would come into the pocket, Volkov was knocking him out, uh, not knocking him out, but, you know, sending him back uh, and then just unloaded on Harris against the fence after this combination that rocked him into the second round. We go Harris uh, did fight back off the fence. And then in the second Volkov uses a teep kick right to the body and Harris is done. He gets annihilated with strikes. Uh, the referee steps in to stop the fight. At first, they were confused, thinking maybe he had kicked him low, but it was as clean as a kick could be. Uh, it just uh, totally stopped Walt Harris in his tracks at a minute 15 of the second round. So Alexander Volkov bounces back after a loss to Curtis Blades, and he won on his 32nd birthday. Happy birthday. What a way to celebrate! I mean, it was it was a pretty impressive win, I gotta say, because at one because uh, I you know there's a lot of uh, big fights on this card, so it kind of got overshadowed a little bit. But um, once Volkov established his range in the first round, you could tell that Walt Harris didn't have anything for him. Like he was hurting him in all sorts of ways, and Harris was just he he, had, he was in a lot of trouble, couldn't find his way inside. You know, uh, I, I was really impressed with Volkov here. 
Yeah, I thought that, you know, he's he's not had the most consistent uh, campaign here in the UFC. He's, you know, he's lost some important fights along the way. The the key ones being Derek Lewis and Curtis Blades. But, um, you know, he realistically to stay in that pack where, you know, unlike what we just talked about with middleweight in heavyweight, it's almost like a backlog of challengers who are ready uh, for Stipe Miocic. Uh, Volkov needed this win uh, to stay in, in that pack. So, uh you know, there, there's other contenders for them uh, at heavyweight that you can find for Alexander Volkov, but he's this doesn't get him into championship conversations, but it keeps him in that top five, I would say. Phil Hawes versus Jacob Malkoon, who was uh, a replacement on this fight, on this card. Uh, Phil Hawes is this prospect who has been talked about for years. He got a shot on Dana White's contender series three years ago, lost. Then he got... Uh, as part of uh, the Ultimate Fighter season 23, he lost on that show to Andrew Sanchez, who won the season. And then he came back last month onto the Contender Series, won, getting himself a contract. And then they turned him around for this card. And dude, he didn't waste any time. He just swarmed Jacob Malkoon against the fence, dropped him, and finished him with strikes in 18 seconds. And you know, it's it's always hard to look at 18 seconds and what you take away from it, but it's the wow factor that you come into with, and there's going to be a ton of hype on Phil Hawes, but there's quite a foundation behind him that has led to him getting this spot in the UFC. Yeah, Malkoon, I mean, he came out scared like a deer in the headlights, and uh, you can understand why he was about to get hit uh, by a truck. And uh, yeah, for... Uh, for Hawks here, he, he's got a lot of potential. It was a great performance on a huge card. Um, uh, sorry, I'm forgetting the name of the guy who had the amazing knockout uh, two weeks ago, who they've already got back uh, coming up in a couple weeks. The, uh, the oh, viral uh, video. Joaquin Buckley. Yes, Buckley. So Buckley's getting a turnaround right right away. Uh, I could see that happening as, as well right here for Haas. I mean, he's it was a really quick, really exciting win. Send him back to Vegas and get him on a card in a few weeks and uh, ride, you know, the momentum of this uh, viral knockout. If you want, like, the fast track to uh, Dana White's heart, it's going, <laughs> like, uh, Hamzat Chimeyev, like, that is going to be the blueprint for these fighters to just instantly turn around and keep fighting and fighting and do it in impressive fashion. Like, Chimaev is now looking at fighting Leon Edwards in December and like the the other side of it is that at some point a guy like Chimaev is going to be saying like man I'm fighting top five guys now and I'm still on my first UFC contract I want to get paid and that without fail always happens and mm. uh, I've I, got a feeling I, I've got a feeling he is no longer on his first UFC contract <laughs> well I hope not um, at this point if he's going to be headlining a fight night card uh, in two months time so but that's the fact like you want to get onto the fast track like that's that's how you do it uh, and if you're a Phil Hawes yeah sign me up get me back in January or something like that something real quick to build on it so um, he looks super spectacular here yeah, it was uh, really exciting and, you know, 18 seconds of work, probably a bonus to go along with it. And um, I think a lot of people want to see uh, him soon. We have the bonuses. No. no bonus for Phil Hawes. Oh, my. We got uh, fight of the night was, we'll get to this, with Casey Kenny against Nathaniel Wood. I can't disagree with that. Performance of the night bonuses. 
Khabib Nurmagomedov and Magomed Ankalaev. I think Haas would have edged out Ankalaev. Yeah, I, I agree as well. Um, there was a lot of great performances and finishes, so uh, you know can't fault them too much. But yeah, a I lot think Haas on this card. Yeah, but that Haas one was just gnarly. I mean, they had to care. They, Malkoon, he couldn't even stand up for the post-fight, uh, you know, announcements. They had to carry him out. So it was a nasty knockout. It was a lot for this guy, man. This was his fifth professional fight. He's on a pay-per-view main card. Like, it, it was a lot on him uh, in this one. And, yeah, he was uh, – they showed him afterwards, and he just looked like his, his soul had left him after this uh, knockout. Lauren Murphy defeated Lilia Chakarova. Um, this one uh, – in the opening round, um, really not a whole lot happened until Murphy defended the single leg takedown and landed some strikes to the side of the head. Then in the second, um, Shakarova, not all that different from uh, what we were just talking about with Malkoon. Like, here is someone that is taking a late replacement fight. This was supposed to be Cynthia Calvillo fighting Lauren Murphy, but she contracted COVID-19 and was removed from this card. So Shakarova making her promotional debut. She was uh, put against the fence, and then Murphy took her down, got the back, and secured a rear naked choke. It's Lauren Murphy's first submission win of her career, coming at 331 of the second round. And then if you want the template of how to handle a post-fight interview, I'm not saying Lauren Murphy is the like slam dunk pick to be to have the next flyweight title fight but my god did she lay out her resume that to, for to state her case there was no oh we'll see what the matchmakers have to say and i'll do whatever they want me to do no it was look at all that i've done i am not walking into this cage again until i'm challenging for this flyweight title yeah i mean it was like she was arguing for a spot on the supreme court i was i was very impressed <laughs> Uh, you know, I think even the Democrats would be behind her here. (laughs) Yeah. It was very fact-based. You know, she, she laid out her CV and statistics on the back of her playing card and, uh, Hey, she does. It was good. It was, I, and it's a situation where deep division, like exactly. Like dude, Jennifer Maya is fighting for this championship next month. So, uh, Cynthia Calvillo was like the perfect person for her to be fighting. But I mean, uh, you know, Jessica Andrade has just entered the division, but she's had one fight. Uh, so, Lauren Murphy has as much of our, an argument as anyone to fight this winner after next month's fight. I totally agree. And I think that the UFC would be happy to line up uh, Valentina Shevchenko very quickly for another fight uh, once uh, the November pay-per-view is done. Valentina Shevchenko is just like, <laughs> stack them up for me, sure. Like it's, yeah, yeah, line them up. Bang, 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 bang. <laughs> dude, like there's just such a gulf between her and everybody else. Um, but that, that's what the state of the division is. Um, Magomed Ankalaev, our uh, performance of the night winner. So, spoiler, he won this fight against Iwan Kudalaba. This has been the most cursed fight this year. They fought back in February where Ankalaev won by stoppage uh, in 38 seconds. And it was a brutal stoppage that I think everyone agreed was too early. So they tried to rematch them. And three times this rematch fell apart. This was their fourth attempt to put this fight together. And the fact that they pulled this off, Bill, I mean, there's going to be the, the grand what if from Dana after tonight will be Khabib and Ferguson. I couldn't get that together, <laughs> but I got this is my consolation. Magomed Ankalaev and Iwan Kudalaba eventually had their rematch. Yeah, there's a, there's a long list of, of never fights that you feel Dana needs to put on. And, and there's one 
that I'm still worried about, and that's TJ Dillashaw versus Uriah Faber. I just have a feeling that 2021 is going to produce that fight. Um, I don't think that's crazy. I, I think both guys want it. I think that's the best fight for TJ to come back to. And Uriah stated he wants that fight. I, I, I don't think that's a crazy bet to make for 2021. Yes. Well, uh, to get back to the point on Ankaleev, uh, hey, he did a great job. This was a really exciting fight the first time, uh, however long it lasted, less than a minute. Um, and it was, you could tell that they were both a little bit gun shy at first here. It took two minutes to get the feeling out process. And Kutalaba, he came in with a game plan, but Ankaleev just kept the distance, was really sharp and really poised, and then finally just landed that brutal finish. Yeah, he was very patient, drew Kudalaba in, and then had that powerful left hand. Uh, he dropped him once when Kudalaba went to spin, which was ill-advised, and then several minutes later dropped Kudalaba and finished him. Um, and that was that was it. It was a pretty dominant win. He got on top of him with hammer fists, and Kudalaba was done. Uh, Uncle Liev, this was his fifth win in a row. So it's kind of like this whole year has been dedicated to this guy in Iwan Kudalaba. So, I mean, for him, it's probably uh, nice to move on from Kudalaba because this is someone that can be a, a contender at 205 pounds. Like he, his name is never discussed among contenders, but I think with this win, uh, he'll be thrust in that direction. Yeah. It's an opportunity for him to actually, I think the fact that he was stuck in this fight for so long really hurt him. So now he can move on, get you know, one or two more fights against some names in a pretty thin division. And yeah, I definitely don't see uh, him being very far from a title shot. How much of the prelims did you get to see? I, I saw everything except the early prelims. Okay. Well, uh, I can quickly go through those, but um, headlining the televised prelims was Stefan Struve in his 24th UFC fight, taking on Tai Tuivasa, who was uh, needed a win here. He's lost three in a row. Uh, and they noted that this is Tuivasa. Um, he's a bit, uh, he's dropped weight in the lead up to this. They mentioned that when he fought, I think it was the Junior Dos Santos fight, he started his fight camp at 322 pounds. Now, when they say that Tuivasa has uh, lost weight, the man's still coming in at 265 for these heavyweight fights, but not cutting as much. So uh, he exercised patience here. It's always, I think, um, take some time to adjust to Stefan Struve, who had a nine and a half inch reach on Tuivasa. Um, but then Tuivasa would go inside in the clinch and start landing. Then he was throwing leg kicks. And then at the end, he hit this big flurry and Struve went down and he finished Struve by knockout with one second to go in the first round. Uh, Tuivasa then hopped the cage and dude, they were on this guy. Get back in the octagon. He wanted a shoey. They were explaining that ain't happening. Not here. Uh, and the man was not exercising uh, sanitation here during this pandemic, and he seemed very sad that he had to go back into the octagon without his shoey. Um, so he gets the victory. For Stefan Struve, he has now lost five of six, and this guy's been in the UFC since 2009. I don't know if he will uh, return to the UFC after this one, Phil. Like At, at some point, it's you cut bait, and I think that's going to be the decision that they likely arrive at after this one. It would not surprise me whatsoever. Uh, he's had an up and down career, usually down when it comes against fighting, you know, the top 
level opponents. He also has a history of some pretty brutal knockout losses where he sort of always crumples in the exact same fashion. I feel if we like overlaid every single crumpling uh, image of Stefan Struve, they'd all be in unison. But um, yeah, he was a fighter who never could really use his length effectively. Tiovasa fought a really smart fight using leg kicks and uh, his big overhand to get on the inside. Then when he was on the inside, just wrestling enough, roughing him up, putting his uh, the crown of his head underneath the chin. For anybody who's ever done wrestling, when somebody gets you in that position, that is just a brutal, brutal position. And actually, because of the height discrepancy... Tuvasa had a lot of leverage there. And, you know, it's not going to end the fight, but it wears on you. And and then in the last minute, he realized that, yeah, there's not much left to, you know, not a lot of time left. And he went for it and got the got the finish. Nathaniel Wood and Casey Kenny. Uh, this was fought at a catch weight of 140 pounds. They're both naturally bantamweights. Uh, this fight was awesome. The first round. I highly recommend watching this round. This pace that they fought at for these first five minutes. I mean, the announcers were watching this of like, how can they possibly keep this pace up? Um, they did a pretty good job of it in the second round of, of keeping it up. Um, it was just like the two were just going for it here. These were very close rounds to, to score, but it seemed to be that Wood was landing more volume, but it was Kenny with more of the uh, the power strikes that seemed to be leaving more of an impression. I thought the second round was a coin flip round, very, very close. And then in the third, uh, I went with Casey Kenny. I, I actually went 30-27 for Casey Kenny, but I was very close on the second of whether it was a Kenny round or a round for Wood. Uh, but it was Casey Kenny getting the unanimous decision, 30-27 and a pair of 29-28s. And as I mentioned, both got the uh, fight of the night bonus, which I thought this clearly was. That first round was amazing. Yeah, great fight. The first round, you could really tell it was if you're going to give me one, I'm going to give you one right back. And so yep. everybody was taking one shot and giving one shot and going back and forth. And you were totally correct. Uh, it was Wood who had sort of more movement, more volume. He had a lot of leg kicks, but Kenny just had a little bit more power. And I gave Kenny the edge in round one. I thought that was a very close round as well. I gave Wood the uh, the edge in round two, another super close round. Uh, and then the third I gave to Casey. I thought that was the clearest round, just mainly yeah. because of the power shots he landed. It looked like it was tipping in Wood's favor because Casey wasn't able to keep he up the pace. He was getting tired too in the third. You you could see, yeah, that, you know, the 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 pace was having an effect. I, I thought more on Kenny than than Wood, but yeah, I gave Kenny the third round. So great fight to uh, go back and check out. There were some very good fights on the show and great performances. Um, then we had uh, Shavat Rachmanov defeating Alex Oliveira. Alex Oliveira was one of two fighters who missed weight. So Oliveira has the distinction of missing weight at both lightweight and welterweight. Sorry, you're going to need to repeat that. Oh, is that about Oliveira missing weight at uh, all these weight classes? It doesn't matter well, he, what weight class we put him at. He, he's going to he miss missed weight. It, he missed at lightweight a few years ago when he fought Will Brooks. Then he moved yes. up to welterweight and he missed welterweight here by two pounds. So maybe middleweight's yeah. next for the Cowboy. Yeah, honestly, I was kind of nervous because if you go back to that Will Brooks fight, it was a pretty unfair advantage that he had in that fight. He looked huge in there and you could tell that that extra weight uh, was was going to be a problem. Um, but uh, in this one, I was worried the same thing was going to happen because uh, I had never heard of this Shavkat Rachmanov. Uh, yes, he's undefeated, but 
he hadn't really uh we hadn't really seen him fight anywhere in uh you know in the west he had headlined a couple of m1 shows so i was just sort of really worried that this newcomer was going to get smoked by a ufc veteran who was you know exploiting the weight rules again but uh nothing could be farther from the truth what an amazing debut yeah um he was making his ufc debut um and he he entered at one point with a knee to the body and landed this left hook and hit these big strikes against the cage. And then all of a sudden, in the closing minute, leaped up, secured a guillotine, and you can tell how tight it was, but boom, Oliveira taps out with 20 seconds left in the opening round. And Rachmanov, uh, undefeated, continues to be undefeated, improving to 13-0. and And it's a super deep weight class at 170 pounds, but... Uh, a good, a really good debut for him here that uh, to me, like you're already like jumping into the, you know, not the deepest end of the pool, but Alex Oliveira is a very good win. And I think the fact that he missed weight as well, it's that much more impressive. I, I couldn't agree more as well. The style is very interesting. I mean, if he, you know, he's a striker and they were saying that he's got an incredibly good guillotine. So that means he can strike with impunity Always, if wrestler wants to take him down, he can just use that guillotine. Even if he's not going to get the finish, you can use that guillotine to reverse or just defend the takedowns. So, uh, I, and I mean, a win against Cowboy Oliveira in your first UFC fight, yeah, that means you're going to get, uh, you know, you're going to go up the rankings very quickly. Uh, and Sam Elvey took on Daun Jung. Uh, this one went three rounds. This was one of our few decisions on the card. Um, I had LV winning the first two rounds. In the first round, Smiling Sam got poked in the eye multiple times. This guy looked like he had lost an eye by the end of the first round as uh, the horn sounded. Uh, in the second, you know, LV was just, you know, they had noted that for previous fights, he just had a really slow start. Um, and we saw that in, in his last outing where it was really not until the third round that he came alive. Well, in this one, uh, I thought he banked the first two rounds and was just, you know, Jung was just not being all that aggressive. He would have a few moments, but it would he wouldn't follow up. And LV was just going after the legs and, you know, being much the busier of the two. Then come the third round, Jung catches and drops LV because all of a sudden the man is, has discovered, I've got this right elbow from hell that I am going to annihilate this guy with. And he hit him with several of these elbow strikes, knocking him down. Uh, LV came back and hit this right uppercut and unloaded on Jung. But then Jung rocks LV with another elbow. And they had this another big elbow shot right off the break. Um, Jung was getting into 10-8 territory, but I couldn't go there for the third round. So I had it 29-28 for LV. We go to the judges' scorecards. 29-28 LV, 29-28 Jung. And the third judge has it 28-28, scoring the third, a 10-8. So we get a split draw. And the look on Sam Alvey's face, like, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> it's like nothing here. Um, anyway, I, I mean, it was, a, it was an entertaining enough fight. Not the fight of the night, but yes, a split draw at the end of this. I, I don't know. What, what did you think? I, I was surprised that we got a scorecard for Jung in this. I thought that the draw I can get, but... 29-28 seemed, uh, I don't know. I couldn't fully endorse that one. Yeah, I felt the same way. I think maybe they gave, I'd have to go back to the scorecard. I guess they gave him the first one because Alvi was moving backwards more in that round, maybe. 
But yeah, Alvy was actually doing a lot better than he has in his last few fights. He was more active. He wasn't just waiting for that one kill shot. He was trying to set it up. He was using the same setups, but it was just a little bit more active. And, uh, you know, I think he'd lost four in a row. So this goes like five without a win, which is kind of tough. I did give him the, yeah. I gave him the W. Um, hey, run it back. It was a fun fight. Make it five sure. rounds. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Coming to a town near you, UFC Fight Night, LV Jung. Uh, and then on the, the early prelims, we had uh, Miranda Maverick defeating Liana Jojua. This was uh, a fight that ended with a bit of controversy at the end of it. Miranda Maverick is 23 years old, making her debut at the UFC. She's been fighting with Invicta for years. And uh, Phil, she is seeking her PhD in industrial organizational psychology. Smart wow. backup to have in case the the fight career does not work out for you. But she looked very good in this fight. Um, she was putting her combinations together. Um, Jojua was on the defensive. And then uh, it was the night of elbows because Maverick cracked her with a left elbow. And her nose is just spurting out blood. And we go, the round ends and uh, Jojua goes to her corner. And they're just like trying to contain this blood that is coming down the nose and with that you just hear jojua yell no no and they wave it off and the fight is stopped and i've got to say like there sometimes you see like bad cuts that look bad but are really not all that bad this is where i'd categorize that i thought it was a little bit of an overreaction to stop the fight based on this dana white stayed afterwards the nose was not broken she got stitched up and I don't know. This one seemed to be, to me, a little too cautious by stopping the fight between rounds just because uh, they couldn't get the bleeding to stop. I mean, the nose is like, it's not like it's in, uh, affecting your vision or anything either. It's, it's uh, cosmetically, it looks like a bad cut, but I think it could have continued. And then we had uh, Joel Alvarez, another guy who missed weight, uh, taking on Alexander Yakovlev. And this one ended um, Alvarez went for a guillotine and it was pretty deep, but Yakolev escaped and then Alvarez transitioned to an arm bar and got the submission in three minutes. So Alvarez uh, uh, improves to three and one in the UFC. Third win in a row. Uh, this follows up on his guillotine win against Joseph Duffy earlier this year. And that was the card. A lot of finishes, Phil. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I had a lot of energy. It was nice to see a card in the middle of the day. Um Man, if this wasn't a pandemic, we could go out partying tonight. That's the, I mean, hey, man, I have I have all of stage two at my disposal. So, um, uh, yeah, a wild night of beers at home. Downtown Toronto, I'm, I'm afraid to sneeze. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm not it's, going anywhere. Um, we actually have somebody on uh, the line in our Discord uh, right now. If anybody What's else it? wants to uh, join, uh, they can just join the Discord and join the Post Lives call channel if uh, you want to hear from him right now. How does that sound to you, John? Let's do it. All right. So on the line right now, we have the one, the only, John Fury 316. John Fury, what's the bottom line on UFC 254? Uh, I thought I, I liked the card. Uh wasn't surprised with the main event. I picked Khabib to win. I was surprised, though, it was in the second round. And I was surprised it took him, like, four minutes to land a takedown. I kind of expected him to do it, like, really fast. Uh, but he's, I mean, he's the greatest. He's the top three greatest of all time, in my opinion. Who, who, uh, who are the three? The question who's, is, who's, who's he in company with in your I put ranking? John Jones and GSP. Yeah. John Jones, GSP. That's, uh, 
I think that I think the UFC just hit a jackpot with this retirement because if this is a true retirement, I'm thinking that Conor Poirier fight is now for the title. What do I you guys do. think? Yeah, I agree with you. I think unless I, unless there's some negotiating curveball that Conor McGregor throws them, I think 100 percent that's the title fight. And even if he maybe comes back to fight GSP, that won't be for a title anyways. So it works out perfectly for UFC. I also... Yeah, go, go John. Uh, no, go ahead. Uh, I also think for Gaethje, I mean, uh, what do you guys think next for him? I'm thinking a De- him versus Dan Hooker, two guys that recently lost. And I'm thinking Chandler and Ferguson, if they can work out the, f- the financial. Yeah, I really like the Chandler-Ferguson option. I think that that's a, a great fight to make. Uh, and that would be one. I know sometimes they try and put uh, you know, your contenders underneath a championship fight, but I think that that car, that can headline its own card, Chandler and Ferguson. Um, that I would not put it on the McGregor-Poirier card. I like those two together. Yeah, Dan Hooker is certainly in the mix. As some of, like there's, there's not too many bad options that you can make with, with Justin Gaethje. I guess it's finding fights for him that are – uh, meaningful because he's going to be wanting to, you know, one fight and be right back into the mix. So uh, Dan Hooker's as good an option as anyone, I think, uh, when you're talking about those those top guys. Like once you're getting out of a Dan Hooker, it's, you know, Paul Felder, Charles Oliveira. Uh, those are all stylistically yeah. fun fights at 155. Which one, though, out of those two would get the next? Like, let's say hypothetical because I think Connor would be, let's say Connor wins the title. You have the Ferguson Chandler, you got. Gaethje Port, which one of those does it based on who wins or which one gets the next title? Like the next title shot, like hypothetical. I think that like, has to be a little mini tournament. I don't think you can because all those guys are coming, like Gaethje, Ferguson, uh, are both coming off of losses. So to, to put them in the title shot after let's say Connor or Poirier gets two wins in a row and becomes this theoretical lightweight champion. I, I don't see that. So I, I like that fight. I like Gage. Well, not Gaethje versus Ferguson, but I like the idea of Ferguson versus Chandler. I think that has more likelihood of becoming the, the number one contender fight than necessarily Gaethje's next fight. Yeah. Fer- Ferguson definitely yeah. needs a big win after that Gaethje performance to get himself back into uh, that mix um, because it's very hard to see Ferguson, even if he beat Chandler, uh, kind of just leapfrogging Gaethje. So it's kind of one of the, like that quagmire that they have at, at lightweight that has to sort itself out. And, you know, when, when Conor McGregor is in that whole mix, it's very hard to just forecast what's going to happen because, you know, there's going to be hiccups along the way to make all of these fights and make sense of it. But I think this gives you a direction for Poirier and McGregor that you can now attach a championship to that that fight. That makes the most sense. Yeah, I agree. Uh, thank you guys for so much. Uh, and John, I loved your uh, UFC preview show and all your uh, wrestling uh, oh, thank shows. You very I listened much. to all of them. Thanks a lot for calling in. We appreciate it. Phil, are we going to have back-to-back retirements with Anderson Silva fighting Uriah Hall next weekend, which in the promo and to MMA Junkie this week, he said, this will be my, this will probably be my last fight in the UFC, which, I mean, there's a few qualifiers in that statement. Uh, Yeah. Mm, 
I mean, it seems like the UFC wants this to be his retirement fight. Like, they're the ones pushing it. It also is, like, the last fight on his contract. And they don't want to sign him to another contract, probably, because he's going to demand a lot of money, even independent of if he wins or loses. So is it possible that he ends up fighting in another promotion? I I could see that. I mean, he's always sort of talked about Roy Jones as being an inspiration in his career. And Roy Jones is still fighting. He's busy, (laughs) man. He's got Mike Tyson next. That's right. But even prior to that sort of uh, novelty fight, Roy Jones was fighting well past his prime. And he just had a love for it. So I I could see Anderson doing that uh, win or lose on, on next weekend. The next time uh, that we'll be back will be the UFC 255 pay-per-view that's happening November 21st. It's headlined by two flyweight title fights, Devison Figueredo against Alex Perez and Valentina Shevchenko against Jennifer Maya. Uh, And they showed the main card tonight, uh, just listing four fights. The other two on the main card being Alan Joban versus Jared uh, Jared Gooden and Mauricio Shogun Hua against Paul Craig. Uh, I think it is safe to say, Phil, this is not a, this does not look like a big pay-per-view next month. No, it it, it really doesn't. I mean, in those top Like this four, might be their weakest of the year. Well, is the full, did you list out the full card there? I mean, did they announce it? Because I don't even think they announced, uh, like, what, what do they have going on on that main card? Anything? We don't know. Yeah. They had oh you know what they had on the main card because oh they did announce it tonight that's right they, uh, it was Shogun they, versus Paul Craig is it on was there. Brandon Moreno against Brandon Royville that was the fourth fight on the yeah. main card they only had four fights listed for the main card yeah and Jose Aldo versus Marlon Vera did they announce that or is that, that I don't think that was listed on yeah. it definitely was not listed on the main card fight so I'm seeing that here but I don't think that fight's official. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's a tough card. I mean, I, I maybe they're. I mean, look, they have to fill in this event. They can't all be bangers. They tried to do something for this. It doesn't look like it's going to happen. Uh, they, they don't have to sell tickets, so they can put in another main event in there at uh, some point. I guess this is the test of Valentina's star power. We're going to see, you know, what she can draw. I think they're going to push it around her. Uh, I'm not terribly enthusiastic about what the numbers are going to be. But uh, maybe there will be something creative around uh, the promotion of this event. So that is going to wrap it up for us. Um, I'm I'm sorry. I'm just stunned. It's 6 o'clock p.m. And we are saying we are wrapping things up. But, Phil, uh, thank you so much for joining me for this. Uh, what, unfortunately, will probably not be a traditional time. But I could definitely get used to this time slot maybe we, maybe we need to move countries and go to some friendlier time zones well i think so i mean based on the statistics this is our most popular uh live stream and uh we have a lot of that's, that's uh, you though that, that's still chair talk. <laughs> well i i don't think so because you mentioned these other nations we have some arabic speakers in the chat we have some okay. russian speakers in the chat so uh spasiba bolshoi to all the russian people and all the Arabic speakers and everybody watching from around the world. I know people in the UK, Australia. Um, thank you for joining us. And thank you, John. Thanks as always, folks. Uh, we have uh, many shows coming up this weekend. Later tonight, uh, Davey Portman and Nate Milton are going to have the Impact Wrestling Bound for Glory post show, which Phil's going to download to figure out what Bound for Glory is. Um, <laughs> who, who did you honest, say? Which, which promotion is it? Impact Wrestling. Okay. So they're like the third. They're the third in North America, right? Yeah. Something tells me if you were scrolling through pay-per-view titles late at night and you saw Bound for Glory, 
I don't know if wrestling would be the first thing that comes to your mind. No, I'd probably be very disappointed after ordering that. Uh, and then Sunday night, wait. Now, are I, you? It, it sounds like the type of pay per view you'd order for a Zoom call. Uh, well, Phil, uh, I, I don't know what 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 that title where it might lead you uh, on Google searches, but uh, pro wrestling might not be the only avenue it takes you down. On Sunday night, uh, you will have a more traditional themed name for a pay per view. It's Hell in a Cell. Where oh, I, <laughs> I'm a big fan of Hell in a Cell. I remember Hell in a Cell. Well, Phil, you're, you, if you watch that show, you will get three Hell in a Cell matches on Sunday night. That sounds less appealing than one Hell in a Cell match. Well, well, can't argue there. But uh, an interesting card nonetheless that is coming up Sunday. Way and I will be live immediately after that show for our Double Double Ice Cap and Espresso members of the Post Wrestling Cafe. You can sign up, postwrestlingcafe.com. Check out all of our stuff at postwrestling.com. And Phil, the, the MVP of the show, you are always the eternal performance of the night winner here on these post shows. Well, I'm, I'm constantly waiting for my bonus checks. Anything you want to promote? Any big guests you have coming up? I know it's hard to follow the, the huge John Pollock show, but anyone you've got coming up in the near future? Uh, no, I don't have anything coming up right I, that I can announce. I'm working on some things, as I've told you as well. Uh, unfortunately, nothing to announce, but uh, you know, hopefully something soon. And uh, just, yeah, people just, you know, pr- let's promote the Discord. If you haven't joined the Discord, we have a great time during UFC events. There's also people during uh, WWF, uh, WWE and Impact and AEW events talking about live shows. And we just have a good time, goof off, send some gifts, just have a really silly time when we watch these fights and uh, hang together. It's a very fun way to watch the fights. And I didn't even realize you guys uh, that were also uh, in the Discord last weekend for the uh, the Lomachenko fight. Yeah, that was that was a nice surprise. I mean, there was a, a really good uh, UFC main event with Brian Ortega uh, versus the Korean Zombie that was leading into Lomachenko. And I've been a big boxing fan longer than I've been a MMA fan. And Lomachenko is at that point where he's... Uh, he had sort of been becoming a mainstream star and drawing a lot of attention of uh, non-traditional boxing fans. But uh, it was it, he lost. It was a great fight, and uh, uh, it was a lot of fun. And uh, we had fun in Discord, and we'll have fun uh, in Discord next week, probably for the uh, Anderson Silva versus Uriah Hall Halloween match. Uh, well, you can... Uh- Access the Discord by just going to postwrestling.com and then at the top where we have all the buttons, you'll never guess, it's listed Discord and it'll take you right in there, free access and to hang out with Phil Chair Talk, value right there. So go check that out and we will speak with you next month after UFC 255, the Flyweights Takeover pay-per-view.